0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren. And many of my Canadian listeners may have noticed over the past month or so that a lot of news outlets are not showing up in their feeds on Facebook or Instagram anymore. And many of you will know that that's a result of a law passed by the Trudeau Liberals, and that this has resulted in many media outlets being blocked completely from social media feeds. Many alternative media outlets that aren't even accepted as legitimate media by the mainstream have also been caught up in this net they're also being uh, blocked from social media, which really impacts them individually. Not all the media outlets have been, but some of them certainly have. I'm a contributing editor for the European Conservative, which is a magazine based out of Brussels, and I can't even see those posts on their Facebook page because I reside in Canada. And the Trudeau tenure has also resulted in a lot of intentional censorship along the way as well and so to kind of discuss the impact of Justin Trudeau's regime on censorship and freedom of speech and a few other issues in general I wanted to have a conversation just to clarify this for all of you with my friend Andrew Lawton Uh, he's with True North he has a podcast there the Andrew Lawton Show he's also uh, the author of the best-selling book The Freedom Convoy Three Weeks That Shook the World I assume uh, Many of you have probably read it. It must have uh, very much bothered the folks over at the Globe and Mail to have to list this book uh, by a conservative writer as a bestseller. But it is, in fact, probably one of the biggest bestsellers of the year. And so to help us navigate what's going on in Canada right now, here's my conversation with Andrew Lawton. All right, Andrew, just to start off, did uh, True North get caught up in the, the new Canadian media ban we see sweeping across social media? We did. I mean, we weren't part of the first wave
1: of it, but I think maybe, I don't know, a week or two weeks ago, one day we just uh, went to the page, each of us individually, and got the message that there were no posts there. And then on the publishing end, we're being told, yeah, you can keep posting, but no one in Canada can see it. Again, we weren't really surprised by it. We knew it was going to come, but it still is a bit jarring when you log in and, and find that you have been blocked that way.
0: So how big of a deal is this for independent media companies like your guys's?
1: It's massive. Now, I will say that had this happened a year and a half, two years ago, it would have been, I mean, this may sound extreme, but it would have been catastrophic for us as an organization because we were so reliant on Facebook. It had always been our our strongest platform. It was where we devoted the most resources. Around the time of the convoy, we really started to diversify. We saw a lot more of an expansion on YouTube and Twitter. And in that sense, ever since, we've always tried to, to keep our eggs. in in multiple baskets, and also to build up our own list of people that just come to the website directly and people whose email addresses we have and we can communicate with. But uh, independent media are the hardest hit because our entire business model is based on these digital distribution platforms. It's not like print media, which has a core business that's based on printing and distributing newspapers, and then they add on the website or a TV station, which has a TV station that is the core of the business. And then anything Online is on top of that. We are only online. So we don't have anything offline to lean back on.
0: So maybe let's back up a little bit for the the non-Canadian listeners, because um, they may not have read about this at all, because I do suppose outside of Canada, it seems like quite a like uh, uh, sort of a local story. But on the other hand, like there's a couple of different threads in the story, right? You have sort of the power of big tech being revealed, even though surprisingly, my opinion in this case is that they're probably in the right. You've got the Trudeau government once again showing phenomenal hubris and refusing to back down and admit when they're wrong, even when uh, it costs a lot of Canadians very dearly. So maybe kind of give our listeners the context for this and then your take on the, the situation overall.
1: So yeah, ju- just for context here. So Bill C-18 was the legislation the federal government passed, and it was basically presented as being a bill to save news, to save news companies in Canada, which, as we know, are, are dealing with like news anywhere else in the world, a, a bit of a crunch because their business model is, is antiquated. And what the government decided to do, do was make it so that facebook and google predominantly would subsidize these companies because a lot of the big legacy media players in canada like uh, the newspaper chain post media or the tv network ctv which is owned by bell they were saying that facebook and google were stealing their content by allowing links to be shared on those platforms which like literally is as dumb as it sounds it it makes no sense it is a completely illogical premise but That was the premise. So the government basically accepts this at face value and says, okay, Facebook and Google are stealing from you guys. So we're going to make them pay their fair share. So the companies say, all right. You think we're stealing your content. We're going to make sure none of your content can be on our platform. We're going to stop this grand larceny of news. And then all the companies turn around and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now you're bullying us. Now you're censoring us, which is a pretty predictable outcome here. But but effectively, the blockage has been these companies bringing themselves outside of the scope of the law so that they don't have to pay news publishers for content that uh, the news publishers are putting on big tech platforms.
0: Okay, so you just said it really is as dumb as it sounds because I have been kind of searching for some way in which the law seems even remotely valid. But you know, you just mentioned that the business model of independent media does heavily rely, essentially, on these free platforms. where you can, you can be, put your links and drive traffic by figuring out the algorithms, by gaining a large following, basically feeding your content to people who congregate on those platforms. And I've never been able to figure out how exactly allowing people to see your work is theft. Like It's not like somebody's cutting and pasting original reporting, slapping the meta logo on it and passing it off as their own, right? Like there's situations in which journalists plagiarize from each other Um, There's even debates about reconstituting material in different articles and commentary articles, etc., where you can at least understand the underlying premise, even if you don't agree with it. I don't even understand the underlying premise here.
1: No, and and I really have tried and I I do genuinely try to be charitable when I describe things I oppose because I don't want to be accused of strawmanning them, which is to say defining them by their thinnest possible criteria and then attacking those criteria. But in this case, it is completely illogical if you listen to the stated purpose. If the stated purpose was look, we know that news is struggling, we have to give the money because that's the only way they can survive. These big tech companies have a lot of money, we're going to make them pay. At least there would be some intellectual honesty. But The the whole theft narrative is completely bogus. And I, I will say, independent media didn't ask for this money. We didn't asked to be compensated. It was Post Media and Bell Media and CBC and Global News, all of these players that were the ones demanding compensation. But all of us in the independent space are casualties of Facebook's and Google's response to this.
0: Is it just True North or is like Rebel and everybody else caught up in this as well?
1: Uh, all of them, uh, so far as I'm aware, and they're still rolling this out but they're not blinking. And I. no one should assume that they will or, or would have. And I will say, interestingly enough, it, it raises a problem that is unique to the government because the government's whole point has been in the past, deciding who news is and who news isn't. And uh, when it came to Rebel, the government actually denied Rebel membership in the QCJO program, the Qualified Canadian Journalism Organization program. And there's a case to be made that when the government decides to say that certain conservative outlets are, are not official news outlets, that we now are in an environment, well, those ones will be the only ones left.
0: So what's a, what does this look like going forward? My understanding, based on the news reports, um, is that the prime minister's not going to back down. There's no indication that he's capable of doing so on any issues. Right? It doesn't really matter what the file is. They've cocked them all up big time. But it's always interesting to me that this government seems incapable. Of following even the consensus. So, just to give an example from one of the files that I spent a lot of time on, right? If you look at the uh, the rollout of assisted suicide for mental illness, there's been pretty much unanimous pushback on this. Every disability group, almost everyone who testified before Parliament, enormous number of psychiatrists, doctors, um, international condemnation and concern, even from the United Nations. And yet, the the justice minister refused to to even count the idea of canceling the expansion, because once they've set a course, it seems like they're not capable of deviating. What's your take on how this is going to go? I think in general, you know, we're we're seeing
1: that the government has overplayed its hand on a lot of pieces of legislation, and they really have, I think, on the made file, which you mentioned, and on the tech file, broken into their own coalition in ways that I, I can't really recall them having done in anything prior to now. I mean, certainly certainly unbroken promises. I've seen them anger some of the people that voted for them. But but bills that really attracted a lot of criticism from people that should be and on other issues are on side with them. I, I think those are two examples. Now, will that be a, a longer lasting problem for them? It, it's quite possible. Like open media is one group, which is traditionally quite left-leaning. Uh, they're not partisan, but they're a left-leaning group. And, and they've been one of the most uh, vociferous critics Of the Trudeau internet regulations, just one example. And then on MAID as well, a number of these groups, which are not these, you know, hard right wing, evil, anti-woman, anti-choice, scary conservative groups, but groups of, you know, very liberal leaning or apolitical medical associations that are saying, whoa, 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 we do not support what you're doing now.
0: So while the government accuses uh, big tech of essentially censoring what Canadians will see, that's also something that the Trudeau government is planning to do with apparently a plan to start targeting what they're calling residential school denialism. And for those who have been following the story, This has to do with those who are pointing out that uh, the story that broke, what was it, a year and a half ago, that there was all of these unmarked graves in Kamloops, it turns out not to have been the case. Nobody's denying that there is a residential school in Kamloops. Nobody, as far as I know, is defending the residential school system, saying it was good, saying that the abuses that have been discussed that took place in those schools didn't happen. Um, Yet, when you point out that we're not talking about mass graves, that the graves uh, that were found in in many cases, they weren't unmarked, but they had wooden markers that rotted. Um, Even pointing out sort of basic matters of historical fact are being swept under this denialism term, which obviously uh, is being utilized because of the context of Holocaust denial, and then being used to shut up those that they dislike. So what's your your analysis and your take on this entire thing? Because I got to admit, this is another one of those those issues where I'm not sure why they're doing this because some of the most prominent critics of the narrative since the alleged Kamloops discovery are, are guys like Terry Clavin uh, and, uh, and Jonathan Kay, who are sort of old guard liberals, not conservatives.
1: Yeah, you're quite right. And you mentioned the Holocaust. I should point out, and a lot of Canadians don't know this, but a Holocaust denial was very quietly criminalized in Canada about a year and a quarter ago. And it was snuck in this criminal provision banning Holocaust denial into a budget bill. And, you know, most people in the news were talking about, you know, the budget and, you know, they had just snuck this in. And a lot of Jewish groups supported this legislation for obvious reasons. Holocaust denial is uh, an absolutely horrific thing. It's incredibly traumatizing to survivors and descendants. Uh, But I maintain that while the Holocaust was atrocious, it happened, and we need to be continuously vigilant against anti-Semitism, I do not believe in criminalizing opinion, which is exactly what this bill did and when you take something like holocaust denial which you know almost universally not sadly universally but almost universally people in this country will condemn as wrong It becomes very low-hanging fruit. Why do you need to censor something, which is already uh, an opinion that is so stigmatized for good reason and and so nearly universally uh, objected to? But it opens the door for government doing exactly what we're talking about now, which is starting to shift uh, ever so slightly over time the line of what you can and cannot say and what you can and cannot think. So the government has not put forward a a firm plan, but has spoken about uh, the possibility of banning Holocaust denial, what if they were to, from there, say, we're going to ban denial of climate change, or we're going to ban uh, pro-life advocacy, because the government believes pro-life advocacy is uh, inherently anti-woman. I mean, these are not things that are all that far-fetched, if you consider what the government has already done in this space.
0: I'm interested, actually, in how far they'd be willing to go as well, because especially with regard. So in regards to climate change, obviously, the government endorses a contested position that it insists isn't contested on the abortion issue fundamentally they're endorsing a a position that is based on on fundamental unreality right 96 percent of biologists affirm when life begins that's in contravention to justin trudeau's worldview even the most liberal scientists who are in fact pro-abortion believes that babies in the womb feel excruciating pain in the in the womb by 24 weeks meaning that even if you don't hold to the research that indicates a much earlier time period um, our government is endorsing what is fundamentally barbarism by literal definition and it is obvious that they would want to silence these things because they're inconvenient and this prime minister seems to have an astonishing amount of hubris when it comes to addressing his opponents and so when we look at the things that have just happened since his tenure began, and of course, you wrote uh, the best-selling book on the Freedom Convoy. We were both there multiple times to cover what happened there. Um, I was talking to a couple of people, you know, in the infamous shed near the Peace Tower when they got their bank accounts frozen, and so we've seen consistently that the government is willing to use all the tools at its uh, disposal to shut down those they disagree with or those that they see as threats and there was an interesting article in Com- uh, Compact magazine which is Sorab Amari's uh, um, project called Why Canada's Criminalizing Dissent which actually kind of made the case that the Trudeau government is willing to do pretty much whatever it takes with whatever tools that they can gather to themselves they are willing to legislate tools if they need to to shut up those who disagree And in some cases, I think that they're doing this specifically in order to create a sort of fictitious other. Um, And I think that would be the case with the so-called residential school denialism if they decide to attack this formally because they want there to be white supremacists and racists that they can claim they're fighting. Um, But in Canada, the demand for white supremacy has always vastly outstripped the supply because there isn't anybody saying that the residential schools were a good thing. At least nobody on any platform I've seen but what is your what is your take on, on the Trudeau government's trajectory when it comes to criminalizing dissent?
1: You know, it's funny because certain things that have happened in the last few years in the COVID era, if, you know, the most skeptical Alex Jones uh, libertarian conspiracy theory type, whatever you want to call them, a few years ago, if they had said that these things would happen, they would have been called quite crazy. And that's not an endorsement of Alex Jones. I'm just saying that a lot of the stuff that governments did under the auspices of protecting us from COVID were things that previously would have been held up as wacky, kooky conspiracy theories. even. During the pandemic, if I had said to you uh, two years ago, you know, I bet Justin Trudeau is going to freeze the bank accounts of people who protest his government, I think you would have said, okay, Andrew, come on, you know, it's not that bad. Maybe you wouldn't have, but a lot of people would have. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, here we are with all of these things having happened, with uh, churches having literal locks put on their doors by the state so they don't assemble, with bank accounts of political dissidents being frozen, with people who uh, basically committed traffic by violations being put in jail and with prosecution letting charges stick and and bringing these things to trial with, you know, Tamara Leach, for example, her trial coming up in just a couple of weeks time. So this is all real life. And when you view a world in which that stuff has not just happened, but generally has been accepted by the official, you know, intelligentsia of Canada, the, you know, government leaders, media leaders, a lot of academics, it, it's not hard to see how that totalitarian impulse that I think exists in, in any state could be unleashed in Canada on, on denialism. And and the problem that I have with how the Trudeau government engages on these issues is that they deliberately go after things in a way that makes it very difficult to criticize. And, and one example of this is that the Liberal government has planned This massive regulation of internet speech, uh, and they call it the online safety discussions, and they've had these ongoing conversations, they haven't yet tabled a a piece of legislation, but this is a bill that will, in one bill, in one piece of legislation, deal with hate speech which as we know is incredibly fraught and uh well it may be easy to define on paper applying that definition in the real world is very difficult misinformation which is even more convoluted and doesn't mm-hmm. have an existing legal definition uh, and also they want to include child pornography I in know. the same bill which is a universal wrong it's so and cynical most people in- everyone except a child pornographer would agree that that's wrong but the the sole purpose of including that in the same bill is so that when someone like me puts up my hand and say actually I'm concerned about the power of the state here and I'm concerned about censorship because I don't like you going after misinformation and hate speech they're going to turn around and say whoa 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 what do you have an issue uh, with you know keeping child pornography off the internet what's wrong with you and it's the same thing with residential school denialism and holocaust denialism where by by putting these things in they make it so that the the principled free speech argument is uh, really misconstrued as an endorsement of whether whatever it is they're trying to prohibit
0: what's your take on what the government's role with regards to information even is because I understand um, that like disinformation and misinformation are such stupid flaccid words I don't like using them but we all understand that people are reaching uh, different conclusions not just based on different data sets but on different views of the world um, but we also understand now that there there is absolutely no doubt that in many cases the government used tools at their disposal during COVID uh, ...for their own purposes. And I have a lot of sympathy for some of the premiers... ...who kind of struggled to figure out where to land on these issues... ...even though I think they made serious mistakes. But when it comes to uh, the Prime Minister, for example... It's pretty clear at this point that they already had data from Pfizer indicating that the vaccination did not stop transmission, and yet he went ahead and ran an entire election campaign gambling on the idea that Canada's high vaccination rates would deliver him the majority he wanted to. In short, he was willing to demonize part of the population uh, for political points. Now, of course, I can't prove that he'd he'd actually read the Pfizer data yet. And if I look at a bunch of the things that his government's done that seem to genuinely surprise him, maybe he just didn't read this information. But what is true is that he ran an entire election campaign on fundamentally false premises, has never been held accountable for that. And as such, it seems ludicrous to me that the public would trust somebody like that to draft the rules around misinformation.
1: I think you're right about that, and and again, we also go back to all of these things that the government has said, and that Justin Trudeau, as the face of this government, has said, constitute misinformation. And you know, even the most deferential, you know, COVID uh, follower who follows all of the COVID protocols and, and dictates of the government will have to concede that the government's narrative has changed on, on COVID. And the, you can say there's good reason for that. That science involves that science is moving at breakneck. But there have been times where what government denounces as misinformation one day is in a government press release the next day. And that alone, I mean, the fallibility of the state over the last three and a half years alone should really make anyone very cautious of government having any legal mechanism whatsoever to deal with so-called misinformation.
0: So what, how do you propose Canadians actually respond to a lot of this? Because one of the reasons I've only covered this a few times um, when it comes to s- certain things is because it really does feel like there isn't much that can be done to properly respond to it, right? If we look at um, the Canadian content, um, YouTube bill, all like all these things have been ramrodded in anyways. Massive organization uh, was, was uh, put into play to oppose Made for Mental Illness we had almost unified consensus on that issue, right? The Toronto star had a headline calling Canada's euthanasia regime, hunger game style, social Darwinism. Like this is, this is the Toronto star of all places. Um, so it seems that nothing is really effective when it comes to combating the impulses of this government, because persuasion doesn't work having an incredibly, uh, um, like post-partisan coalition doesn't work. A coalition of, of advocates of various different, uh, Various different organizations and very wildly different worldviews that doesn't work. And I have the sneaking suspicion that Trudeau has so thoroughly convinced himself that that Polyev is a fascist that he would be consider he would be willing to strike a deal with uh, with Jagmeet Singh to create a coalition government to stay in power longer, even if for the third time the Conservatives win the popular vote, but this time actually win the the requisite number of seats necessary for a government. What's your take on on the best way to go? Forward? forward?
1: Well, I, I think, uh, you know, one thing that, that we need to realize here is that when you have an issue in which you are on side with the population, and the government is not, if your goal is to defeat the government, for whatever reason, maybe you're running against it, or maybe you're just, you know, a, an opinionated Canadian, you want to keep the attention on that issue. And and right now, the Liberals have boxed themselves in on the tech stuff, they've boxed themselves in on made. And the the ideological arrogance they have on any issue that they've had since the beginning of this liberal government in 2015 makes it so that they can't really accept wrong. I mean I cannot recall the last time Justin Trudeau ever really apologized even you know when he was caught in blackface. It was basically like a learning opportunity for everyone else who hadn't been parading around in blackface but not as much for him when he was on the Agacon's uh, private island for a family vacation, which is like you know small potatoes now as far as liberal skin handles go. But it was like, again, somehow a learning opportunity for all of us when he groped a reporter in BC, it was a learning opportunity for all of us. And I'm like, how have I had to learn from so many things I've never done is the question that I'd be asking as a Canadian. But when you talk about made like the government has been unrepentant on this. And, uh, you know, I was in a little discussion group a couple of weeks back, and someone just asked, you know, how many people have really known someone who had gone through this and every single person in this group, and I'm not going to say it was a representative sample, but every single person in this group knew at least one person that had died from assisted suicide, Uh, many people, in fact, most more than one. And and that was jarring to me. When you look around and realize how many people have seen family members uh, make this decision because the state has said that they're better off dead than alive. And many of them were not saying this in a celebratory way. If You know, I'm glad so-and-so had that right. They were saying that they did not believe this should have happened. And, and these were not social conservatives, I, I should point out as well. So as people start to learn more about this... I think their resistance is going to get a lot louder and a lot stronger.
0: One more final question, just because I've asked about half a dozen different people this question, and I'm always interested to see what people think, because the reason the government's commitment to the expansion of made to mental illness confuses me so much is because as you just mentioned everybody knows somebody who's felt suicidal ideation or depression but that goes for uh, this prime minister as well right his mother wrote a very famous memoir about her struggles with depression and suicidal ideation there's a very good chance that you know his mother while going through those struggles if the regime he's currently shepherding in had existed uh, that she wouldn't be alive today and he's obviously tremendously tremendously fond of his mother so when it comes to abortion right abortion is a fundamental part of the trudeau family legacy it was first decriminalized by his father pierre his mother quite famously talked about having an abortion in an interview with playgirl so one of his half siblings was aborted so i can understand that all of his personal experience orients him to hold a very pro-abortion position but i would expect his personal life experience when it comes to this to orient him in the other direction what's your take A take on what part specifically? On why he's so committed to this, despite the fact that it it would seem like his entire personal experience would push him towards the opposite position. It's the one thing that Trudeau's been so committed to that it genuinely confuses me because all of the context Mm -hmm. uh, flies in the face of what he's pushing.
1: Okay, I understand. It's a tough one. And I think in general, this is a guy who does not have a level of, of self-awareness and you know I, we were talking about abortion earlier i mean this is a guy who not just identified as catholic but really 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 identified as catholic and, and was talking to reporters earlier on in his political career about how deeply important his catholic faith was to him but didn't just identify as pro-choice but decided to really take the most aggressively and hostile uh, approach he could to people who believe in you know life people who who believe uh anything that is shared by you know any Catholic who, who's serious about their Catholicism. And that was to me, I, I think one of the biggest examples of where Justin Trudeau has just completely severed any ability of discernment and of self-awareness from what he says politically. And I, I think in general, he has these very, I, I don't even know how you describe it. I mean, almost these. I, I want to choose my word very carefully, but but he has these views of issues that I think are so detached from their realities. And, and we use the word virtue signaling, I think, probably a bit too much in, in politics, but there's a great – example of that in how trudeau engages with politics because he likes to make the proclamation he likes to make the grandiose statement the big picture idea without actually worrying about the details and i think made is a great example the the slogan death with dignity sounds great who could oppose death with dignity it's dignity is great we all like dignity so when you commit yourself to that you are only really talking about this idea of something that doesn't exist. And the second you look at the real world, the second you look at whether it's your own mother, in Trudeau's case, or whether it's me as an individual in my own case, or, or people in their lives that have met people with mental illness or encountered mental illness themselves, like the second you even take a moment, a moment to consider the implications of that, you can't, commit to that policy anymore without being a callous and I would say evil person. But if you don't think of it, if you don't think of facts, if you don't think of reality, you can focus on this ideal that exists outside of the facts of the world. And I think that's what he's doing.
0: Andrew, remind our listeners again, where they can find all of your work.
1: My show, the Andrew Lawton show is over at true North, which is tnc.news. And I also do my own Substack, which is andrewlawton.substack.com.
0: Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Andrew Lawton. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you'd like to listen to past shows or subscribe to listen to future ones, head over to lifesitenews.com and click on the podcast tab. You can find us wherever you get your podcast content. Thanks so much.